I don't hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and weasels, thankful that they're not minks during this holiday season. Live from the annual convention of the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, it's Tea with BBP. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Oh, we have fans. Look at that. I'm your host, BBP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, the diva of SLA. <clears throat> Sorry, Steve. Uh, I'm the guy bringing sexy back to second language acquisition. You need to get a new line there, Bill. Shut up. I'm not going to introduce you now, Walter. <laughs> okay, with me, my co-host. This time, I'm going to introduce Angelica first. What? Angelica Kramer, back from Germany. Yay! Yay! Herzlich willkommen! Boy, did we miss you, my guy. This guy was working my nerves like a squirrel on a uh, nut, let me tell you. Poor this, Bill. I know. Poor you, Walter. Thank you. Poor Walter yeah, is more like Walter. it. Yeah, poor Walter. Oh, Walter. Okay, and my other co-host, Walter Hopkins. Walter, say hi to the crowd. Hello, here. everybody. Yes. <laughs> Wally! My own personal volleyball. Well, uh, we are live here at the morning. annual ACFO meeting uh, or convention. This is a convention, not a meeting, right? I it's a convention, it's yeah. Convention, yeah. Uh, I tell you, man, the glitter, the glam, I tell you, the gowns. Have you been watching this parade of people here? Hello, are you seeing what I'm wearing? Yes, I'm I seeing mean, what you, The audience can't at home can't see what you're wearing. That's true. She's wearing a tiara, one of those plastic little paper ones that lights up that says 21. I don't know what the 21 stands for, but... Because, honey, you passed 21 a long time ago, but I'm not, I'm not What, a long time ago? No, 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 just very recently. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. I found it, you know? Well, I, I, mean. I did, I, you know, we're in San Diego for ACTFL. I did some research on this. I don't know if you all know this. Do you know who the famous people from San Diego are? Some of the famous people from San Diego? I don't know. Cameron Diaz. Gregory Peck was from San Diego. Robert Duvall. Catherine Dimey. Miam, I can't say it right. Mayim Bialik. Remember her? She's great. Ted Danson, Mario Lopez, and RuPaul. RuPaul was born in San Diego before he moved to Atlanta. RuPaul was born in San Diego. All right, um, we're continuing our topic uh, from last week. What does explicit teaching do, if anything? Uh, unfortunately, those of you at home can't call in today because we have no phone lines here in the convention center. We barely have Wi-Fi. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but you can let us know your thoughts if you can. Uh, are you able to? Your uh, Walter's on my cell phone, so he you can um, send us a, uh, a question or a comment through twithbbp at gmail.com. Walter's uh, reading that. Um, are you able to look at tweets, Angelica? Sure. If you want to tweet? Yeah. Okay, we'll put Mikey on this. If Mikey wants to follow the tweets, he can tell us what people are saying. Um, so you can tweet us or email us with your questions or comments. We want to hear your questions, but we also want to hear your comments or reactions to what we're talking about uh, as we talk about this provocative topic. This is, again, a continuation of last week. What does explicit teaching do, if anything? Um, and remember, if you're not listening live and you can't listen live, you can always catch us archived at teawithbdp.com. Uh, we make for great listening for your students. You can assign our recorded shows as homework, right? Um, students can give presentations on what they're listening to and what we're saying and what people are saying from the audience. There's no end to how you can use our shows and how you can listen to them. And don't forget our SLA challenge quiz. We're not doing this with a call-in today, so somebody here from the audience is going to have to take our SLA challenge quiz. Um, yes, yeah. so one of you going to have to do that. So no call-ins, but one of you. One of you lucky audience members, and we have a great prize if you get all three questions correct. And uh, you want to know what your prize is if you, uh, if you get the quiz correct? You get a date with Walter Hopkins. 
Yeah. I think my wife would like that very much. Yeah, you get your own personal volleyball <laughs> for the evening. I'm willing to rent them out for the night, let me tell you. All you need is 10 bucks and you'll have a great time. Oh my God. Okay, we have a very, those of you at home, we have a very, very special guest with us today. I'm very pleased to introduce them all the way down from three hours north of us in the LA area. Please join me, Walter, and Angelic as we welcome to Tea with BVP the infamous, the previous diva of SLA. <laughs> oh, harsh. The fabulous, harsh. the wonderful. Harsh. Steven Crashin. Now a good start here. Yeah! Steve, all right. Steve has a few fans too, isn't that great? I love that, Steve. So how you doing? You can punch Ooh. him if you want. You gotta not, the mic. not bad, not yeah. bad. Good to be here. Oh. Thank you. In yeah. fact, at my age, it's good to be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me about age. I looked at myself in the mirror the other day. I looked. I said, How did I get so wrinkled? Then I moved the mirror from my ass to my face, and it really scared me. And I was like, God. No, it's true. You know, when you get older, things start going Shake south. Shake your head, Angelica. Shake oh, I'm, I'm shaking. Are you kidding me? I'm shaking. <laughs> Don't be like that. Okay. Um, before we begin, um, a not-so-general reminder that we are pushing to make it to 1,000 followers on our newsletter by December, so please get people to sign up. We're almost there. It's a few to go. Luca is pushing me on that. So please have your friends, colleagues, and students sign up. And we have a shout-out uh, to the SLA students from the University of Oklahoma. Do you want to wave and say hi? Yay! Yeah! All right, there. Again, our topic today is what does explicit teaching do, if anything? This is going to be a great topic for me and Steve to uh, talk to you all about. Um, by explicit teaching, I think you all know what we mean. We're talking about the explicit teaching of grammar and vocabulary along with explicit practice. Now, there are lots and lots of issues buried within this topic, and we may have to have additional shows on this. i got a great topic for our next show, which I'll get to later. Um, but uh, let me throw out something here um, for those of you in the crowd and those of you at home. If your goal is language acquisition, if your goal is some kind of proficiency, then explicit teaching is at best, at best, a waste of time. I'm going to start right there. At worst, it could actually be detrimental for your endeavors and what you want to do. Um, now, I know this rankles the feathers or ruffles the feathers of some of my colleagues out there and some of my colleagues that I work with. Uh, but I think we need to be clear about one thing. I mean, Steve and I have both been involved in research for a long time, and I don't think there's any solid evidence anywhere that, in fact, I know there isn't, that uh, explicit teaching is necessary for language acquisition. And again, at best, and I'm being very generous by saying this, at best, the evidence that it's even beneficial is weak in my mind from my review of the literature. Um, again, I know that's going to throw a few people off out there, but that's, that's how I see things. Um, but what better person to uh, have with us here today at ACTFL to talk about this but Steve, um, Steve Crashton. So Steve, I wondered if you wanted to make a little comment about explicit teaching, explicit practice before we start oh, taking yes. questions from the audience or talk to anybody else I about I want that. to make a big comment about it. No do it, question. Steve. Do sure. it. Sure. Do it. Um, contrary to popular opinion, I am not opposed to teaching grammar. It's, I would never say teach grammar, go to jail. Grammar is evil. <laughs> But it's limited. That's the point. It has a few functions. It's hard to learn. It's hard to apply. Um, I have hypothesized a long time ago that certain conditions have to be met in order to use grammar, and they are daunting. First, you've got to know the rule. And linguists haven't described all the rules. Grammar experts don't know all the rules. The best grammar teachers will admit to you they don't know all the rules. They don't present all the rules. The best students don't learn all the rules, and the ones they learn, they don't always remember. So we're talking about a very small set of possible things to learn. 
Number two, if you want to use grammar, not only do you have to learn the rule, you've got to be thinking about correctness, which is kind of an unnatural thing to do. It's kind of like patting your head and tapping your tummy at the same time and all that. The uh, grammar people think that we should be thinking about grammar 24-7 all the time and that the reason we are here on earth is to produce grammatically correct sentences. Okay, uh, no, not true. So you gotta be thinking about it, you've gotta know the rule, and you have to have time. In normal conversation, there is rarely enough time. Put yourself in this position. You're a low intermediate speaker of English as a second language, you're having a conversation, and you wanna use the tag question. Uh, Bill is a handsome guy, isn't he, all right? Uh, here's what you have to do. That's well, not rhetorical, see. by the way. Yeah, you can, you can answer that. Demasiado <laughs> guapo. <laughs> anyway, Senior Woolley's influence. Um, anyway, uh, what do you got to do? You got to look at the subject. Oh, it's Bill. I've got to change it to a pronoun. If it's already a pronoun, you leave it alone. If it's a helping verb, you use the helping verb. Otherwise, uh, you know, you, you, you can't use the regular verb. You have to substitute a helping verb. If the sentence is positive, you make tag negative. Sentence is negative, you make tag positive. By the time you do that, your conversational partner is long gone, okay? <laughs> so this is really tough to do. These conditions are met only under certain very limited circumstances. Number one, when you give people a grammar test, when you're, you've studied the rule, you're focused on form, you have time to apply it. And our work, and this is in my uh, best-selling book, soon to be a major motion picture, <laughs> Second Language Acquisition and Second Language Learning, which came out in 1981. The subtitle is The Cure for Insomnia. <laughs> if you can't sleep, unless you're one of the .001% like me and a few other people, uh, it's not going to be an easy read. Uh, it's also available online. Operators are standing by on my website, sdcrashen.com. Uh, com. D is for David, as in no David. Okay, So you can do it on grammar tests. And it's, if it's not a grammar test, we find people don't use grammar very much. The other way, the other reason for grammar is for language appreciation. That's another function from it that is completely separate. And that is an appreciation of the wonders of linguistics, etc. I have been in classes where teachers have presented grammar with both in mind. Uh, my favorite examples come from TPRS. Uh, my introduction to TPRS, Karen Rowan uh, dragged me into TPRS classes saying, you've got to go to these things. And the, my Spanish teacher at the time, who is my, still my model of a wonderful teacher, is Jason Fritz. And I always go to his intermediate Spanish classes. And in one Spanish class, he paused and said in English, by the way, this little O at the end means past tense. It's called pop-up grammar. Now, if you want to use it as a monitor, fine. And you can, you know, apply it, great. It's, it's up to you. If you want to just appreciate it, fine. Also, um, Karen got me into Linda Lee's Mandarin class, who is also a true living master, in my opinion. And one time, Carol Gobb was in the same class. as the uh, owner of TPRS uh, uh, Storytelling, which turns out great materials. Linda paused and said, in Mandarin, we don't have an infinitive, we just string the verbs together, which is language appreciation. Carol and I, who are really haven't quite recovered from our love affair from grammar, thought that was the most interesting thing anybody could say. 
The rest of the class, I think, just let it go by. So there we see the two functions. Oh, I left one thing out. Another place where the conditions are met is when we edit our writing. Uh, and there are certain places where our grammar of English is slightly different from the accepted grammar. And, you know, like the difference between it's and it's, where the apostrophe goes there, there, and there, uh, you know, where the commas go and the, uh, all that stuff. And we don't always get it. And that's a good place to think of rules, but we can only do some of them. So to conclude this hour-long tirade, uh, grammar isn't bad, it isn't evil, it's just hard to use, and we need to recognize that. I don't disagree. I know, I know, I know. Not at all. And in my best-selling book, Making Communicative Language Teaching Outcome, <laughs> Good one. available through McGraw-Hill.com, you can find some of the same ideas. I have to admit, I've, I've known Steve for a long time. He does not remember this story, probably, but I'll tell you. Um, I'm back at Michigan State now. I first met you, Steve, in 1983, when you came to Michigan State with my first job, and there was a conference that was hosted by... Um, I forget who did it, the actual person on campus, but it was for African languages and the teaching of African languages. And you and I were at lunch uh, with Trisha Dvorak and Janet Swaffer and the organizer of the conference. And um, I was like a young whippersnapper trying to get started. And Steve gave me some great advice, which I shan't share with you right now. Don't you like that alliteration? Shan't share. <laughs> that was good, huh? That's hard to do on the radio. I almost said no, something else. No. <laughs> and, uh, so, and so I remember, though, Trish Dvorak being angry with Steve because Trish was starting to do her work on writing at that time. And her thesis was, what she was thinking about was, writing is a reflection of your reading. And that, that in order to be a good writer, you had to read a lot. And that the more you read, the more you write. And then Steve turns to her and says, and she was about my age, just getting started as well. Steve turns to her and says, oh, I just finished a book on that. It's coming out this year. <laughs> she turns to him, she punches you on the shoulder, she goes, you shit. <laughs> She didn't even know him. I thought that was the funniest story I've ever heard. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so. Lisa Say says, if you read a thousand books, your words will flow like water. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's why I always read before I... Never mind. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bill! Really? <laughs> PG-13. I didn't say anything. I didn't say uh, anything. Uh, okay, uh, we're ready to take some uh, some qu uh, questions for people. We want to sweep up. Walter, uh, uh, Dustin, who's doing this? Dustin is going to, uh, Dustin DeFelice, our great muscle man there, is going to uh, lead people up to the microphone that, that, uh, that we're going to use for people to ask questions in the audience, so please don't be shy. Um, in the meantime, Walter, if there are any, are there any uh, questions from out there or Angelica questions or comments out there that the people nothing take on Twitter. One? I have some other questions than shout from email. Okay, you have a question from email. I do. Let's start with one from email and Dustin. Start getting these. Okay, who's who's? Uh, I told you you're going to ask a question. <laughs> Get up there. Get up there. This poor guy in a nice Benjamin suit and tie. Benjamin will have to ask a like, question. He's going to get up there a question or make a comment. Okay, so Walter, who do we have from out there? At, All right, we actually have land? someone here. His name is Jason. Would you say then that most language classes are really language appreciation classes instead of opportunities to acquire language? Well, that depends on the class, right? I mean, your classes aren't, my classes aren't, but what would you say, Steve? I mean, you visit a lot. A lot of them are. They are, uh, aren't We they? don't have exact figures, but the comments I've heard on the internet, what's going on in classes, is that grammar translation is still with us. And grammar translation, as uh, Jason pointed out, is introduction to linguistics. Right. And the 5% of kids who love it, 95% hate it, 
the five percent of kids who love it become grammar teachers, become language <laughs> teachers. That's the problem. You know, what? Mm -hmm. go ahead. You're gonna say something else? Yeah, I have a Twitter comment because no, we're not coming in on Twitter. Uh, uh, about a month ago, someone asked me, "When are you gonna be on Bill Van Patten's show?" And I wrote back and said, "Well, Bill has already commented, already invited me, and I promise that when I get on, I will tell." how Bill Van Patten played one of the world's great practical jokes on me. Oh, boy. <laughs> I still remember it. Can't wait to hear this yeah. one. Well, we were touring. <laughs> Bill and I were, were touring Florida. You and I and another professor. What was her name? Oh, God, I don't remember. She was really, really pleasant. We had a great you know, time. When you're on Prozac, you can't remember too much. <laughs> yes. Who, who, I don't know who that you're was. You're on Prozac. I'm on placebo. Check it out. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, we're on the same platform, and she spoke, and then it was me, then it was Bill. As I was getting up, and it was a slender platform with, without a board. You know, people could see your whole body. He says, Steve, your fly is unzipped. <coughs> it wasn't. <laughs> I spent the whole time checking it out. That was an amazing practical joke. You have my admiration. That was amazing. <laughs> That was, uh, um, yeah. well, I'm not the world's best practical You're joker, good. but I just, you know. I that just, was great. That was great. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve and I also shared this. Do you still have, well, I shouldn't bring that up. I'm not going to bring this other thing up. We, we, <laughs> we had a mutual, nothing bonds people together than their mutual disdain for something. And so we both were speakers one time in Kansas at a, at a we were the keynote speakers for a TESOL, original TESOL thing. And we both looked at where they were putting us up, and we looked at each other and went, Holy mother of God, can we get out of here? But I won't, I won't think more about it. The people were nice there. It was, it was a I great... I moved up. It's Motel 6 all the way for me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, before we... we uh, do we have somebody ready? Okay. Yeah, Benjamin. Uh, yeah, Benjamin. All right, Benjamin. What's your question? We don't, take, we don't take first names, so yeah. don't worry. You're so, going to get recognized by your friends out there. So, so I had a question while you were talking, and my question is, um, what is the role of recognition, of repetition, and variation, like um, you were telling the story about the pop-up grammar. What is the role of, of recognizing, oh, that's repeated, and then this is a variation, and then when does descriptive grammar, pop-up grammar, cross the line and become explicit grammar? So the role of repetition, would you say that again? The role of the recognition. Funny, repetition, oh. I got it. Of course you got it. I got it. I'm not quite clear on the question. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, um, so like... Budong. Oh. Okay. How? Hung ha. So you, uh, you recon you're, you're pointing out the recognition. You're recognizing... A grammar rule. Out a grammar mm, rule? A grammar... Mm, a, a repetition. A repetition. Of a structure. A structure. A structure. Okay. It could be grammatical. It could be... Um, yeah, let's just say grammatical. Okay. A grammatical structure. And you're using this as pop-up grammar, so you're, you oh. know, like you just mentioned in your, in your story. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, when does that cross the line and become explicit grammar teaching? Well, when does explicit grammar cross the line and become anything useful to us? The entire field of language, see how I'm diverting your question into I something I want to talk about? Uh, the entire field... <laughs> used to be called applied linguistics. And applied linguistics was find out what the grammar of language is, 
and then teach it to kids in class. Mm -hmm. So we really were applying the insights. And in those days when I was a grad student, uh, we were, uh, I, I majored in Chomsky as a graduate student, which was, you know, blindingly wonderful and beautiful. And I always wondered why the ESL people didn't study Chomsky more to help them create their materials a lot better. And every time I read something new in grammatical theory, I said, oh, we'll make materials out of this. This is the foundation of grammar teaching. It's the foundation of English for special purposes, English for academic purposes. Describe all this stuff and then teach it. And as Bill began, there is this is the most important, uh, I think, idea that we've been pushing. There is no evidence that consciously learned language becomes subconsciously acquired. It cannot enter the system like that. At best, no matter how many times you see it, uh, consciously learned stuff is going to be limited. It's going to be a monitor, and it's going to be at best, and it's going to be very hard to use. Again, it's not evil, and it could help you appreciate language and see what you've acquired. Another question that really hasn't been answered uh, in the field that people keep asking me is whether consciously learned knowledge can make input more comprehensible. Yeah. I think it's quite possible. I get that question, too. Yeah. I, I th it can. It, it can. But, but my own research on the application of explicit knowledge, for example, during sentence processing suggests that it's incredibly limited that you can actually use that in real time anyway. So, you know, that's with a grain of salt, I take that idea. But, but it's certainly research researchable. Um, I, I would just add one more thing before we take another question, um, is that I forgot what the hell I was going to add. <laughs> Steve, you do this to me all the time. I know. I know. My God, you're, you're like a shot of tequila. What? What? Uh, what? What was I going to say? What? Who? What? Oh, anyway, um, I'll, I'll think of it later. Oh, yeah, I know. I just remember what I was going to say. He said something about there's no way that conscious knowledge can become implicit knowledge. And he's absolutely right because, as I've been, the tour I've been doing this year in lots of my talks, has been uh, arguing that there are no rules to begin with. From a generative perspective, from a current linguistic theory perspective, there are no rules in your head. What's in your head is something different, quite different. And the rules on a page um, aren't, don't exist in your head, so there's no way for those rules to become that. You're dealing with apples and oranges, and, and so um, we, uh, we, there, that we have to get rid of that whole explicit, implicit stuff, and, and, and that explicit can become implicit because it just can't. It's just, I'm gonna say it like that, it just can't. There, I said it. Okay. Thank you, Benjamin. I think you yes, need to do a, a teabag toss. To oh, him. yeah, teabag toss. Okay, He's throw a teabag. Right Come on, teabag right toss. There. I gave, I right gave there. Teabag oh, toss. Okay. Come on, teabag toss. Out there. Come on, do your job. Throw uh, he has one. Are we doing a teabag oh, toss? Yeah. Teabag <laughs> toss. <laughs> oh, wow, they don't, they don't toss well. Do they? <laughs> okay, there we go. All right, for those of you out there not here, we're tossing teabags to the audience <laughs> with the BVP logo on them. Okay, before we take our next question, I want to give a big shout out to Actful for letting us do this here Yay, in the Convention Actful! Center. Yay. Now, 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 bigger applause now are in order for Carmen Coggins, who's been running the social media lounge here. She was very helpful in letting us set up and helping us set up. She's been great giving us a space. So give a big, big round of applause. Thanks, for Carmen. Carmen. Okay. All right, and who do we have over here on the table? Hi, my name is Daniela Bichilio. Um, oh, no, first, first names. First, first names. Daniela. Sorry, sorry, just Daniela. I don't have a last name. And <laughs> um, my baloney has a first name. <laughs> uh, I am from the University of Oklahoma, where I teach. Woo! Go Sooners! Um, where I teach SLA, methods, Italian, a whole bunch of other stuff. So, hello, SLA and methods students, you're wonderful. Um, and should I ask my question? 
Okay. Um, so my question uh, is actually about um, some some of the names that we we throw around, even the term acquisition. So are we doing sort of an injustice um, calling it acquisition? Because it has me thinking of that term as a commodity, as an object to be sort of digested, consumed. Um, and so when I talk to my students about this, even about the notion of, I'm going to throw a wrench in there, about input and output, that there be sort of, uh, it's sort of objective in this way. When we know that development, um, obviously it's, an, it's not a ladder, it's not getting from step one to step two, but it is much more like rock climb. You go up, you go down, sideways, and, and so on and so forth. Should we change Second language acquisition to second language development, for instance. Let me tell you the secret of having a successful career. <laughs> and why you're, you're in the right track. I wouldn't use the word development because it's too clear. <laughs> what you want to do, which has worked for me, uh -huh. is come up with terminology that's just a little vague. So people, they don't quite understand... So people think you're a lot smarter than they are. <laughs> My greatest triumph was I plus one. No one has any idea what it is. <laughs> and they keep misinterpreting it. But things like, I've, I've invented a lot of terminology. Uh, and sometimes it's my idea, sometimes it isn't. But everyone thinks it's my idea. So I get the credit and lots of invitations. So you're on the right track, OK? I should say right now, affective filter didn't come from me. It's from Dulé and Bert. But everyone thinks I did it. So come up with a term that's a little bit confusing, and you've got it made, that captures this back and forth and jigsaw and up and down and U-shaped stuff. Yeah, just call it second Karen. language rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> That'll confuse the hell Too out of people. Too comprehensible. It never worked. <laughs> I'm with Steve, though. I don't, I, I, I don't use the word development for, for a variety of reasons. But, um, I do sometimes, but I think it's... Clear. Yeah, I got. I mean, we talk about developmental stages and developmental sequences yeah. for a reason. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, Daniel. That was a good question. Thank you so much. Um, we're still waiting for someone to step up for the SLA challenge. Um, so whenever you want to take your little quiz, just let us know. Um, we have but, someone here. But we have somebody. Oh, no, we have question. another question. question. How are we doing on time, Angelica? Oh, you got three minutes. Okay, because I got I got to do I got to do a commercial break in about three or four minutes. So. And I get thirty seconds. Okay, yeah. there we go. Okay, well, who we have at the end of the table here? My name is Mikey. Hey, I'm Mikey. From Phoenix, hey, Arizona. Mikey. I think Mikey called into our show once before. Yes. Yeah, the episode that did not record. That was my claim to fame. Oh. And but luckily, I guess I'll embarrass myself now. You asked me what coffee I drink, and I had to admit that I drink. Iced coffee from McDonald's, which was embarrassing. That. It wasn't oh, even cool, like yeah. Starbucks or yeah, something no. cool. Cheap. That's a travesty. That's but right up there with wine affordable. spritzers. Jeez. <laughs> I bet you drink wine spritzers, Mikey. I do What's not What's wrong with drink. wine spritzers? Seriously. <sighs> She's but a travesty. I'm from Northern California. That's a travesty to wine. I'm from Germany. You don't That's do totally that normal. to wine. Yeah. Of course you do. You can drink way more. Oh, no. Jeez. Good for you. Wine spritzes. Now, now, don't. Literally, he's talking about me yeah. behind my back. Yeah. Look at that. Literally. <laughs> you those out there who are in the audience, he's leaving behind me to talk to Angelica. That ain't going to work. I'm going to pull you back to your chair, Steve. All right, Mikey, what's your comment? What's your question? Okay, so you wrote an article, Where Are the Experts? Uh-oh. And I happened to share that with Dr. Krashen. Uh -huh. And... So really, what I'd like to hear from both of you is the comment on that article. If you could talk to us a little about, bit about what was in that article, and I'd, lo I'd love to hear both of you comment on your thoughts on that article and the profession that we are all passionate about. 
Okay, uh, thank you for the question. I'm probably going to get in trouble with this. No, I'm not going to get in trouble. But anyway, I, I wrote this white paper um, that was published in the Journal Hispania uh, by the fabulous organization AATSP. Anybody here a member of AATSP? Woohoo! Okay, if you're not a member of AATSP, you should be. Even if you don't teach Spanish or Portuguese, join anyway. <laughs> Can you tell them what it is, Bill? Yeah, oh AATSP God. is the American Association of Teachers. You could have done this, Walter. Oh, my voice is sounding so great. I, I know. To do it. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, when you win your prize with a date with Walter tonight, just make sure you don't kiss him because you might get something. Contain- I don't know what he's got, but anyway. Although my prayers did come true, you know, Walter Hopkins finally has laryngitis. I am so happy. I just... <laughs> Come on, Bill, be nice. Anyway, so I, 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 pu- I published this paper in March of this year um, in Hispania, and uh, it's called Where the Experts. And I basically was asking the question about typical departments of languages in universities across the country, and asking the question about if, if our concern is about language acquisition and proficiency and so on in our language curricula, who is driving the bus of this proficiency trip we're taking? And so I did an analysis of schools that give PhDs um, to find out how many of these schools actually have people like myself, like Steve, like, like other people like us, um, in, in the departments training graduate students who are going to go out and be the n- next professor and so on. And what I found was that the population within Spanish is about 8%. So 8% of the faculty in Spanish across the country do something like what I do or what Steve does. And in French, it's even lower. It's like Actually, Spanish, I think, is like 6%. And in French, it's like 2%. And so the question I was raising is that how are we going to make changes in university level language teaching if we don't have enough people going around who can talk about language teaching and language learning from a contemporary, and I do mean contemporary, well for us it's not contemporary, he's been talking about this for 40 plus years, I've been talking about this for 30, well maybe not quite 50 years, you've been around a while Steve, haven't you? I don't want to give your age away. He looks pretty good for 105, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, I read at the 110 level, though. There nice, you go. nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and, and, and I've seen the progress in, in, at the university level be excruciatingly slow. And now I'm attributing that to, to the sociology of the professional. There's so few of us who can really truly make an impact. And that was basically the thesis. Of, of, my, of, of the paper was asking, where are the experts and, and how can we get more of them okay. into the profession? My comment is the experts are right here in this audience and at this conference. And if you want to read about them, I have some places, not in the professional journal so much that we know about. They're still there to a great extent, but there are other alternatives. Uh, write this down, ijflt.com, the International Journal of Foreign Language Teaching. It's free, it's open access. That's the name of the game for me. We ought to be able to afford this stuff. These journals are just too expensive. The books are too expensive. So we're doing something about it. And Steve Krashen's website, to show you that I didn't die 15 years ago. Uh, all this stuff <laughs> is on uh, in journals over there. I've been more productive since I've retired. Mm-hmm. You're going to love it, Bill, in 30 years when you you know, reach the age and you can do that. Oh, my it's God. It's good. It's going to be wonderful. So I've been very productive. There's lots of stuff coming out all the time. SD Krashen. Dot com. We're working in literacy. We're continuing the work in second language. I have uh, some articles on animal language about a talking parrot that I have actually met. And I'm working on some a new field called exolinguistics. What happens when the aliens land from Zeta Reticula? How will we talk to them? What is Star Trek's take on this? I speak, I speak Zeta Reticulis. <laughs> yes. They can talk to me. speak Klingon. Yes, exactly. Navi. <laughs> a friend of mine actually did the Navi language. Really? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, Paul Fromer, and he's there are people who 
have met each other and speak only Navi. You know, it's all they have in common. It's great. Oh, so it, the, the answer to all this is to look outside, you know, the, the normal, the regular stuff. Look at the online open access journals. Some are predatory, but many are very, very good. And you'll see the field has been moving along. Yeah, and we got things like Tea with the BBP to reach out to people. Absolutely, and yes. Yeah. Well said. So we're doing it, and it's totally free. Totally agree. Totally agree. Speaking of free, it's time for a commercial break, so bear Thanks, with me while Mikey. I do this. Thanks, Mikey. Nice to see you in person. I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a threat. Okay, well, everybody, the Thanksgiving is next week, and it's going to be Black Friday. It's that time of year when people push and shove their way into Walmarts. Macy's and Best Buy's as they trample each other in a reindeer-like stampede to grab that special bargain before stock disappears like a pumpkin pie at Oprah's house. Would you like to avoid the holiday shopping delay? Would you rather stay at home watching your favorite holiday movies with a box of Kleenex on the Lifetime channel? If so, then give the gift of tea with BVP. <laughs> it's cheap and it's no hassle. Simply sign a friend up for our newsletter at teawithbvp.com and add a little note that says, thinking of you and what you need for the new year. And if you want to spice it up, here's something else for that loved one of yours. Download one of our recorded shows from iTunes and attach it to your holiday digital yet personal email message. It's great to listen to while relaxing in the tub, running off those holiday ham pounds on the treadmill, or while trying to drown out those yammering noises coming from family members who wait until this very special time of the year to demonstrate morphological composition by adding dis into dysfunction. <laughs> Again, Tea with BBP is free and it's easy, and there are no lines. Simply go to teawithbbp.com, and you're a click away from the best stocking stuffer ever. So do it, and your friends and colleagues will thank you for the best gift. Tea with BBP. We bring new meaning to ho, ho, and ho. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. All right. We have, oh, we have somebody who's ready for the SLA challenge. Do we have, is, where's Lizette? Yeah. Lizette, hey, Okay, in honor of our special guest, Lizette's going to take the, uh, the, um, the SLA challenge quiz. There's three items. She gets them all right. She's going to win a prize. I will tell you in a minute what it is. It's not really a date with Walter. Oh, um, what? And in honor of our special guest, these questions all have to do with Steve Krashen. So are you ready? Okay. What was the name of Steve's first pet? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Number one, you ready, Lizette? I am. Okay, get close to the microphone so everybody can hear you. We need to record you. Okay. Get really close. Really close. There yeah. you go. There you go. Present as Walt. Pretend you're on a date with Walter and get close to it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Which of the following is a construct within Steve Krashen's theory about language acquisition? A, and don't be like Eric and jump the gun. Listen to all responses, okay? A, N plus one. B, the input hypothesis. C, the explicit implicit distinction. D, none of the above. Can I call a friend? First question, she needs a lifeline. <laughs> you can see if someone in the audience can help you, Lizette. The input hypothesis. Oh, there you go. Ding, ding, ding. Is that yeah. right? That is ding, ding, ding. Yay. Can I get a high five? Okay. Hang on a sec. Got question number two. Aww. Question number two. Question number two. Here we go. Which of the following would Steve Krashen probably not say or not agree with? Okay. A, grammar instruction can alter acquisition orders. B, monitoring is limited by time constraints and knowledge. C, a main role for language teachers is to provide good input to learners. 
D, none of the above. You see my short-term memory? <laughs> I'd say A. A, is that right? Yes, it is. Steve would not agree with grammar instruction. Nice. Can alter acquisition. Well Thanks for putting the right answers first. That really helps. <laughs> well, we'll see on this next one, okay? All right. You get this third one right, Lizette, and you win a prize. Right now, you got a tea bag. You're going to give you a tea bag, but... She's making eyes at Walter. Did you see that? I, I did. She's, I've already Blowing said kisses. you do not get a date with Walter tonight. Okay, number three. Fill in the blank based on what Steve Krashen has said. Blank cannot become acquisition. A, practice. B, learning. C, output. D, none of the above. Output. Everybody? I'm sorry, Lizette. Even though he might agree with that in a certain sense, what he's actually said is learning cannot become acquisition. Oh. Learning the sense of kind. Oh. But, you know. Can I do three out of four? No. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. But if you give Walter a kiss for extra credit, I will give you the prize. <laughs> oh. Okay, and here's Lizette's prize. Here's Lizette's prize. She gets a free tea with BBP red mug. There you go. Thank you, Lizette. Okay. Yay, Lizette. Thank you. Steve wants to make a comment about that. Yes, um, I followed the advice that I gave Danielle a little while ago with the input hypothesis. It, I get credit for it, but because I coined the phrase, but it's, of course, not my idea. Uh, people had it first. I'm going to pretend to be modest here. Uh, Frank Smith, Ken Goodman knew all about it in whole language. We learned to read by reading. And in the field of second language, people like uh, James Asher, Harris Winnitz, uh, Leonard Newmark knew about it before right. I did and talked about it. And I just attached a term to what they said. Okay. Does anybody so. out there in the audience recognize any of these names that Steve just mentioned? Leonard Newmark, that you do? That's because you read, right? Or you're older. Because one of the, Sue Gass and I were talking about this one day at a, at a meeting, and we said that because we're part of this older generation, and we've been around in second language acquisition for a long time, and we noticed the younger people getting their PhDs right now don't really know the history of the field, and they haven't read some of the great, they haven't even read S. Pitt Quarter's famous yeah. Significance of Learner's Errors, right. which I make all my students read. They have to read that in any good. course they take with me. They don't read Larry Selinker's Interlanguage, and so we need to uh, make sure that these names and these constructs and these people stay alive because they're part of our history. SLA is only about 50, 60 years old, but it's rich uh, with a lot of theorizing. And I'm daring, I'm going to say the following, that things that S. Pitt Cordes said, things that Larry Salinker said, and things that Steve Krashen said in the first days of SLA have not changed. What we do now in SLA research and SLA thinking is pretty much a response to everything the three of them ever said. And, and so we owe the field to, the, to those three people. Um, and so I just thought I'd say that, Steve. Just, just to give that. a little more history. Um, it turns out, I went to my aunt and uncle's wedding anniversary, 50th anniversary. M uh, my uncle's name is Boris Newmark, and there was Leonard. Get out of we here. We have the same aunt and uncle. Get out of okay? here. Jesus. Not only that, I was What are at, the odds? Wait, it gets even more interesting. I was at Ken Goodman and Yetta Goodman's house a long time ago in Phoenix, and they, I stayed over at their house, and we were sitting around, and Ken asked Yetta, would you tell the story of your family history? And she does it like Kunta Kinte. She does it in Yiddish. And she says who she is. And she says, I'm uh, Yetta, the original name, the maiden name. And my family comes from a little shtetl called Ledizhinker. 
And I said, say that again? By the way, her Yiddish was very comprehensible to me. Ledizhenkur, that's where my father's family comes from. It's a tiny little shtetl of about, I'd say, 3,000 people. We're probably relatives. <laughs> and the Goodmans and I are criticized in the same breath all the time. So oh. both sides, you know, both second language and uh, literacy were all connected genetically and intellectually. There it's amazing. Go. Next thing you know, I'm going to find out I'm related to Steve Grasham. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a blood test. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to tell us that you're related to Benny Goodman. That's where I thought the story no, was no, going. No, no, no. Yeah. Say, pull out your clarinet. clarinet. Let's see. Clarinet. That's right. Okay, uh, we have a question on Twitter, right? Yes, Angelica? indeed. Okay, let's hear Catherine the question. is asking, why is there such a rift between input-focused language learning and teaching practices and the rest of the CLT world? Oh. Ooh, why is there a rift? I didn't know there was a rift. This is, is a good chance to do some definition of terms, which yeah. is really important. Yeah, uh, you take that one first, and I'll go after you. Okay, uh, there's a confusion. The term communicative is sometimes linked to stuff that we do. Oh, this is communicative. Natural approach, TPR, TPRS, it's all communicative. Uh, no, the word communicative technically means uh, language teaching based on comprehensible output, uh, trying to get your idea across, talking a lot, etc. It's actually the mirror image. It's trying to make yourself understood to people, which some people think is the way that we acquire language. So this is a very serious confusion. Yeah, and actually, uh, I have tried to undo that. The, the book that Jim and I did in 1995, and then second edition came out in 2003, Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen, actually defines communication as the interpretation, expression, and negotiation of meaning in a given context, i.e., we're talking about classrooms, right? And what we put emphasis on is that there are two sides of communication, interpretation and expression. And a learner's job in the early stages is largely interpretation. So we're focusing on the role of input in the classroom in community language teaching and not so much this idea of always trying to make learners speak right away. Um, and so the problem that, that we have is that communicative language teaching has never had a good working definition of communication. So we've tried to put that in and show people how, to, how you can work with that um, to, to make sense of what it is that you're doing. So, um, so I, I think that that um, that the riff that who's who's the, who the Catherine Catherine I think the riff Catherine's talking about is precisely what Steve says is that people hear communicate and they think it means make the students talk, and Jim and I say no, communication involves both interpretation, and expression of meaning. So in the early stages, teachers are the expressors of most of the meaning, and students do a lot of interpreting of meaning. That's their job, in language acquisition, particularly early on. So anyway, there's, there's, there you have it. Thank you, Catherine, for that question. Um, any more questions from there? How are we doing on time? I don't, I don't have a watch. Gave Walter my phone oh, yeah, to look at the seventeen minutes. We're oh, good. good. We got, We're good. So we got some good time. Actually, on Twitter, Walter got a shout out for his voice too. Oh my God! I Barry keep telling him. White. I keep telling him he sounds like <laughs> Lauren Bacall voice. today. Doesn't he sound like Lauren Bacall? Speak. Say something like. It's not coming out. Just say. <laughs> just say. You know how to whistle, don't you? You put your lips together and blow. <laughs> say that. You know how to whistle, don't you? Put your <laughs> lips together. Lips together and blow. I swear, I close my you eyes, it sounds like Lauren Bacall. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I swear. I feel like Bogey sitting over here listening oh to him, I tell boy. you. Okay, we have another question from the audience here. Um, first name only, please. Uh, hi, my name is Joe. I'm hey, a... Hey, Joe. Where are you going with that gun? Oh, sorry. Gun. Never heard that. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had to do it to you. I knew you. Like, you probably get that like three times a day. That's true. Um, I'm a elementary and middle school Spanish teacher in Michigan. And um, 
What, what part of Michigan? Uh, the Metro Detroit. Oh my God! You see the snow we're getting today? I did. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm glad I'm going home tomorrow. I'm Jeez, glad I'm I hope here. it's all shoveled by the time right? I get home. Yeah. yeah. We'll just all stay here. Um, so my question is, um, sort of two pronged, but there's seems to have been a, a proliferation in recent years of elementary Spanish programs, and I think most people in the field would say that they don't have very much time with their students. Sometimes one or two sessions a week, um, and my question is two parts. One, do you think that programs like that have value? And uh, the second part is, given those limited time constraints, other than advocating for more time, what do you think teachers should do with their time to maximize it to, for, for language acquisition? That's about eight questions in one. Very I good. know. Sometimes yeah. this happens to me in the show. I get these dissertation-like questions. Very people good. Go, very good. Do people want a lot for five bucks? You know. They, they just, you know <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, give it a brief shot. First of all, in terms of uh, foreign language in the elementary school, uh, the general public idea is that the earlier you start, the better, and it's magic. And no, it's not true. Older is faster. Uh, before puberty will give you better accent in the long run than after puberty, but older is much quicker. If you want to be efficient, I would say start around at age 9, 10, and not with preschool, etc. But there's nothing wrong with the programs. A lot of them are wonderful. The kids like it. They get a good attitude for it. And if you could pump in two sessions a week of really high-quality, compelling, comprehensible input, like TPRS, Yay. okay, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I would love two hours a week of comprehensible input in the language of my choice. I think it's great. Uh, a little bit about TPRS. I get a lot of credit for natural approach, undeserved, because it was Tracy Terrell's work. But I, I get credit for it anyway, and I love it, and it's wonderful. TPRS is better. Thank you, Blaine Ray. Yes. Excellent. And by the way, speaking of TPRS, before I forget, um, Steve and I are going to be together this next summer at the IF, um, uh, IFLT. IFLT. The International Forum on Language Teaching Conference, which will be held at, where is it going to be? Is it in Nashville? Where is it? Chattanooga. I knew it was in Tennessee somewhere. So right here, those of you in the audience can see this. Go by the TPRS booth yeah. and, and Bill, pick up one of these. Bill, uh, piggyback on that. While you're in Chattanooga, come a little early and come to a, another session related to the conference uh, put on by Fluency Fast. Go to fluencyfast.com where we're actually offering some intensive classes, and you're going to love it. There you go. But let me just go back to Joe for a minute with this question about this K through six stuff. Because um, you used the word value. You said, what value? And that's always the key to things, how people interpret what value means. Um, everything that these kids would get involved with is valuable, no matter if it's two hours a week or one hour a week or three, it doesn't make a difference. It's all valuable. It depends on what kind of spin you put on it. Because I think as Steve said, if the kids are liking it and they want to do more later on, that is where you need to be. Because one of our jobs as language teachers is to get people excited about language. And there's no more way to get them excited about language for them to see, to make some progress and do some things and say, look, even if I can only speak two or three words at a time, I can do that. And we need to show parents and we need to show administrators that, 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 there's, that these things are very positive things and we're creating positive attitudes toward language and language acquisition. Well, for once, I agree with you. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. This, I know the day was coming. Yeah. <laughs> if, we're, if we have one goal, it's wanting more later on. Yep. That yep. is all that counts. That's the major thing. And I'll tell you something that in, uh, nobody else knows except me and Darcy Pippen, who's sitting here in the first row. Um, 
she has managed in teaching Spanish in the high school to get a large number of her kids to go all the way and take the AP test all the way through to go through the whole program. And the percentage that she's getting to actually do it is about, you know, at least five times is what we're getting in the national average. This is what counts. Are they continuing? One of the things we're very concerned is how do you make someone a lifetime reader, not just a reader to get through an exam? How do you make someone want more? Thanks for bringing that up. Um, it, it's like my mother always said, too, in response to Joe's uh, question is, you know, leave them weak and begging for more. That's what we want to do with these, <laughs> these kids. And Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thank Have you. Have a great rest of the conference. Um, before we forget, we had a selfie contest going on, Selfie with BVP. How many of you participated in that? How many took selfies? Some of you out there did, right? Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, well, we have a winner. Um, and I shouldn't say winner. That sounds bad. It's like the Academy Awards. We have a recipient. Good. The prize goes to... Um, the selfie that we selected um, is goes, the prize goes to, you ready for this? Drum roll. <laughs> Speaking of, IFLT goes to Carol Gobb. Carol! Woo yeah, Carol. yeah, go Carol. I have a comment on that too. Yeah. Oh. Her prize is a date with Walter, no. Actually, actually, we have a prize, I have to mail it to you because it, 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 we're gonna mail it to you, but you're gonna get a very nice prize. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Carol Gobb is the reason I'm here. Carol Gobb, the owner of TP, our storytelling, has facilitated and make sure I could be here. We did a co-presentation. Thank you, Carol. TP, our storytelling, really nice stuff. Good yes. books, etc. Great, great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, um, we have time for what? One more. Uh, one more. We got somebody at the table here ready to ask a question. How, how's we doing on time? So again, I don't ten minutes. Have, We're oh, good. good. We got one time enough for one more good, good question. Or good, is it a question or a comment? Uh, it's a question. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, please. I'm just kidding. Okay. My name is Jan. I'm from Minnesota. Hey, Jan from Minnesota. What part of Minnesota are you from? Uh, Delano, which is outside of Minneapolis. Oh, okay. I don't know that. I know Eden Prairie. That's the only place I know outside of Minneapolis. So. Okay, well, my question is going back to uh, sometimes a hot-button word, output. Uh -huh. That was part of the, the challenge quiz that we had here today. Yep. And I, in my teacher seminar workshops, I often quote Dr. Crash in here that uh, output is not language acquisition. It's the evidence that language acquisition has occurred. And so sometimes very erroneously, people think that a CI, a comprehensible input classroom, the students never speak and the students never write. And this is part of the confusion out there in the general public. So could you clarify what is the role of output in the language development process? I'm gonna let Bill do this because he said it very well in his writings. <laughs> I really do. Think that. Really think so. Yeah. Okay. I really think that. So um, I'd hand it to you, man. Well, yeah. I can't remember what I said now. Yeah. Maybe I should. Be, why don't you quote me, and then I'll, I'll see if I remember. Well, that. What, what Bill said. <clears throat> yeah, output doesn't cause language acquisition, right. but it certainly can help you get more comprehensible input. If you talk and you're lucky, someone might answer back, and say things that are relevant, and it can help control what the conversation is about let the person know what level you're at, uh, et cetera. So it helps indirectly, not necessary. Theoretically, it's not necessary. Theoretically, you could do the whole thing by just listening and reading, but practically, it's a very wonderful way of getting comprehensible input. Exactly, and if you go back to our definition of communication that Jim and I use in our book, for example, 
the interpretation expression of meaning in a given context. When a learner answers you with one or two words, that learner is telling you what he or she has understood that you've said, or from an, some other interlocutor. And so, and so that kind of minimal output, output that's appropriate for the level of the learner is that back-channeling to the other person that, yes, I'm being understood. Um, and, and, and so the conversation keeps going, or adjustments are made so that the person gets better language directed to him or her. Uh, and so uh, our, our, our response is that output as part of the natural communicative process is fine as long as it's level appropriate. And you don't mm -hmm. force it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not trying to get students to speak in complete sentences, but if a student can say yes, no, or if you say, um, was this a dog or a cat? It's a dog. That's appropriate response for that question if that question is appropriate for mm -hmm. what you're doing at that point. We owe a lot of this to Tracy Terrell, natural approach. Mm -hmm. Yes. Made these things acceptable. Mm -hmm. he's, I, I miss Tracy. I oh really my. do. Oh, oh my, my God. Goodness, yes. Yes. What a what wonderful a, man he absolutely. was. Absolutely. Love that guy. He was. He, he changed my yeah. life yeah. in the early 80s when he, he a great guy. came to Minnesota for oh. a workshop that I fortunately was able to attend. He, he and I were actually going to work on a project together. Uh, we started talking about it at an ACTFL once back in 89, I think it was, and we laid out the project and we're giving ourselves a year to start working on it. And then he got ill and then unfortunately passed away not too long after that. We never got to work on the project. I was, I was really devastated by not being able to work with him. But. I'd like to add a comment about output is the motivational factor. This is what I've seen in the classroom, that when the mm -hmm. um, situation is set up so that students are going to be able to speak and write and be successful and feel good about it, the motivational factor is, is very high because without that opportunity, the students don't know that they know and their yeah. eyes get big and they just like, wow, it's like, look, ma, no hands, I can do it. It makes you feel like a member of the club of people who speak Spanish, which is good. A uh, brief word about writing. Writing doesn't cause language acquisition. If you write a lot, you won't be a better writer, but writing's terrific, it makes you smarter. You write it down on the page, you can come up with better ideas, revision. Mm -hmm. So all these things are good, it's just not how language is acquired. Right, mm -hmm. right. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Jan. Don't forget our website, everybody. Has everybody gone to teawithbvp.com? We, we launched a new website this week. Have you seen it? Our beautiful faces are on there, Angelica, BVP, and Walter. You read our little mini biographies and blurbs on that. Um, so get your friends to sign up for teawithbvp.com. Get our newsletter. And it only comes once a week, so it's not like you're going to get flooded with emails like I get from Hillary Clinton every day. Um, it's true. <laughs> I do. My gosh. Yeah, I know. Oh, gosh. I get somebody. I got an email from Bill Clinton today. Would you like to have dinner with me? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. I don't want to have dinner with you, but I'll have dinner with Hillary. Okay. How are we doing on time? Five minutes. Five um, minutes. Actually, maybe we can take one other quick question from Twitter. Okay. Let's, let, let's, let's tweet about this. Barbara is asking. Barbara Streisand's calling in? Yeah, awesome. right? Right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Well, Barbara is asking, can you name um, the SLA heavy hitters? Heavy hitters? Yeah. What is that? What is yes, heavy I can. Uh, Blaine Ray. Ah, okay. Yes. Um, Teachers of the Year, Grant Boulanger, uh, Darcy Pippen. These are the heavy hitters. This is the new the new progress that's happening is through application, through application, through actually showing how it's done in classrooms, and that is having a positive influence on researchers. These are the heavy hitters right here and now. Well said. I'm not going to disagree with that. Michelle Whaley, thank you. <laughs> Leslie Davidson, you're here, Leslie. Yay. Okay, yes, Yay. thank you. Yay. 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 
<laughs> wow, the names just keep rolling in. I, I like tell it. Yeah, that's I great. Like Christy Placebo's here too. Every all of our these are the heavy hitters, in my opinion. Yeah. People have changed my thinking actually and focused me. And that's hard to do. <laughs> He's very opinionated. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but it's well informed. It's well informed. Okay, no more questions, no more comments from the audience. How about a quick teabag toss before we come yeah. on? Teabag toss. Teabag come toss. On. Come on. There is actually one other question okay, on okay. Twitter from Christy. She is asking, do Actful's proficiency levels need to be changed to reflect the current SLA best practices, or are they on target? Oh, that's a good question. You don't have to ask Actful that. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, we're here, we're here at, I don't know. Do they want it? I don't, that's a goo. Ooh. Don't be afraid. You, you, you answer that one, Steve. The proficiency levels and the guidelines that come out of professional organizations are carefully designed to be neutral to theory, which is their weakness. They can be interpreted in a skill-building mode. They can be interpreted as being consistent with comprehensible input. That is the problem. You know, that's actually in evidence when you look at different quote-unquote methods books, and I, I don't like the term methods books that are used in the profession. I recall one that was very popular in the 80s and 90s, um, I can't name the person, um, who interpreted the guidelines as a blueprint for teaching, so that if you're teaching 101 Spanish or French for a semester, for example, you had to do these novice low kinds of things with your students. I found that a tremendous weakness. I, the last thing I want to do is novice low stuff with my students <laughs> in the first, that's, that's not communication, that's not input, that's just. So, so they are that, Steve's right. They, are, they, they can be misinterpreted and misused. So I think what we need instead is Actful talking more about language acquisition. Oh. Right? That's what we need. Maybe we need some guidelines for about what it means to, to know something about language acquisition. That's been my hobby horse for a while, is getting teachers more involved with language acquisition and what it means for language teaching, so. Okay, is it time for us to start wrapping up? We have two minutes left, so oh, I gotta wrap up here. Okay, so remember to get our, our push to get 1,000 followers in our newsletter, so do that. Uh, we'd like to thank here our technical producer, Dan Trago, who's Yay, there on the soundboard. Our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's Luca, back there. There's right Luca there, back there, right there. yay. The guy who normally takes your phone calls, but today played bouncer and muscle man with this rowdy actful crowd. Where's Dustin D. Police? Dustin! Dustin D. Police back there. Wave your hand. Yay, Dustin. We'd like to thank the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, commonly called CELTA in our crowd, the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. With that said, we want to thank all of you listeners out there, especially this well-dressed, well-coiffed, wonderful crowd yeah, here at Apple. Thank you. So give yourselves a big round of applause. Yeah. And we have, we have uh, one thank you for Leanne um, Spino, who's working with audio today with Dan. Where's Le Leanne? Leanne, Leanne, say hi. Leanne, woo! Uh, next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we won't be back on the air until Thursday, December 3rd, at a usual time and place. So we're going to have a great topic. You ready for our topic? I'm going to challenge people out there. The topic is, there are no such things as errors. That's going to be the topic. So tune in. It's going to be a good one. Steve, do you want to say something real quick? Yeah, I'd second? like to thank Hyun Lu one more thing for giving me a nice de personal demonstration of uh, Chinese character recognition and showing me 
very concretely how literacy development and language acquisition are so closely related. The way we recognize characters, even for low-level people like me in, uh, in Mandarin, is exactly the same process as we go through in language acquisition for learning oral vocabulary, et cetera. Good, great. Another uh, th practice to theory connection here. Okay, so until December 3rd, have a great rest of the time here at Acro, at home, whatever. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy second language acquisition to all from the annual ACFL meeting convention in downtown San Diego. Go enjoy the beach. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye. Bye. Bye.